Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Clinically Psyched. My name is Cass, and I'm here with a really special guest today. Um, I'd love you all to uh, meet Mr. Timothy Simmons, soon to be Dr. Timothy Simmons. How are you today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Uh, so I was really excited to have you on. Uh, we had spoken a little bit previously and you had some really great and important topics that I think that this podcast has yet to truly dedicate an episode to uh, going into. Um, but before we get into that kind of juicy meat, uh, I would love to hear more about uh, yourself and your journey so far in getting into clinical psychology, uh, as well as what interests you about the field. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. That's a lot. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, totally a lot, but I got you. I got you. I'll try to be quick. Um, so again, I'm Timothy. Um, I'm currently a senior at the University of South Carolina studying psychology. Um, I will be attending Loyola University Chicago in the fall in their clinical psych program. Um, so I'm super excited about that. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. I do podcasts on the side as well. I'm a content contributor for our Mental Health Minute, and I also do a podcast with my university called Hear Me Out. So I love podcasts, love listening, love doing them. So I'm excited to share my story here. Oh, that's amazing, Timothy. And what area, I guess, interests you most in the field of psychology, or what are you looking forward to be studying next year? I'm joining the RISE Lab with Dr. Byron Brooks. I'm super excited about that. Um, so we'll be studying uh, Black gay stuff, <laughs> which sounds really general, but I really enjoy being able to just tell people about it and have that space to really be able to research like stuff like that, such so as Black gay uh, identity development. Um, I'm personally interested in racial socialization ethnic racial socialization really it's really general right now um as i get older i think i'll uh, specify a little bit more but for right now it's real general stuff and is that something that you were also very interested in your undergrad yeah um so actually coming into undergrad i wanted to do il psych and that kind of morphed and changed into clinical psych um i got introduced to research last summer by doing the NARE. Uh, scholars program. I was a McNair scholar. I did some real cool uh, research on Black masculinity and health, um, and that morphed into me joining a lab that does a lot of health psychology stuff. So do interventions with Black families, looking at positive health outcomes. I also do a research lab that deals with racial, ethnic socialization. So it's been a journey. It's been a journey. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, I love that you had the opportunity to study it at the undergraduate level as well. Did you find it difficult to find, I guess, researchers in this area or um, professors when you were applying? Oh, yeah. When you think about like the intersections of Black and queer people, first of all, it's just hard in general to find Black scholars who yeah. are in clinical or counseling psych who want to do what I want to do specifically. You know, there are, you know, there are a few of us, but there's not enough to really be able to have like a list of 20 schools. Like, exactly. Yeah. That like, must have been a, like a hurdle, I guess, because you hear about people applying to like 15, 20 schools. And when your options are, are much more limited, it must be kind of higher stakes for you. Yeah, exactly. I committed to only applying to labs that have Black 
professors or working with black professors Mm -hmm. or just professors that were people of color because that was important to me you know I just don't think that a white professor could really understand my experience and give me the mentorship that I need as a black psychologist entering the field so that was really important to me so it's yeah it's really hard to find that mentorship in that in the in the faculties here and yeah that's we can do a whole episode on that (laughs) (laughs) well I hope too (laughs) um I guess I was wondering you know you mentioned that it was it was very difficult to kind of not only find uh black scholars but black scholars that specifically studied in this area that uh, you wanted to study in did you find that your experiences in undergrad as a black student and as a black queer student influenced you in any particular direction or, or caused any hurdles along the way i think that's a good question i think that overall i was able to have supportive mentors along the way and that's really hard to find like if you come from like one of those smaller universities or maybe you're in a psych undergrad program that doesn't have any black scholars uh black professors you really might be out of luck you really might be able be out of luck or maybe you have a black professor maybe outside of the department of psychology and you kind of just have to figure out and find them or you have to be with the network and find other people at other universities but I was able uh, by the grace <laughs> of God by the grace of God to connect with other black uh, psychologists and that's really what got me to where I am now and how did you go about finding these people um how did you go about doing the the hustling and doing the reaching out was that like was that difficult for you yeah so first I did the McNair program like I said before um and we're actually given mentors in the McNair program. So my first mentor was Dr. Banerjee. Um, She's not Black, but she is of South Asian descent. She studied a lot of racial, ethnic socialization and primarily does research with Black communities. So for me, it was like, ah, perfect. Like, couldn't have found a better mentor in undergrad. Um, I also met Dr. Pam Martin, um, just being, uh, working in organizations like Psychi in undergrad uh, and Dr. Pam Martin is also a big name in black psych so love her thank you for so much for your mentorship Dr. Martin um, <laughs> but yeah I was really able to connect with these people uh, again by McNair and then just honestly being involved in my department because I was so involved in my department people were like oh here's this black uh, professor here's this black professor um, when I first started there weren't much of them, but now, at least at USC, there are a lot. Um, but again, that's not the case at all universities. Would you recommend that if somebody was perhaps in your position um, without that access to mentorship, do you think that reaching out to professors at other universities is maybe the way to go? Yeah, I would say reach out to them as fast as you can or connect. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Black psychology professor. I'm sure if you're in you know one of the neighboring fields like public health sociology uh african-american studies at least somebody black <laughs> in these places yeah. know an, a black psychologist that they could reach out to you and possibly provide mentorship and i guess what would you say is the biggest benefit of of having a professor who uh, either has that uh identity of being black or perhaps um 
racialized in some way. Is there something specific about having a mentor who uh, is from a similar background that is particularly like a standout kind of benefit? Yeah, um, I'll talk about my mentor coming up, like Dr. Brooks. Um, So I'm from Mm. South Carolina. Dr. Brooks is also from South Carolina. He's black and gay, I'm black and gay. So when I first emailed him uh, about being a prospective student, he was like, oh my gosh, I'm from South Carolina. And we just clicked off the bat. Um, so because we clicked off the bat, I feel like I never would have gotten that opportunity with any other person who wasn't from where I'm from and had the same experiences that I had. Um, so there's something that Black psychologists or you know, person of color psychologist knows that, uh, that a white professor wouldn't be able to give you um, they have the understanding of what it means to navigate these um, ivory towers honestly yeah um, and they actually do the work with the communities which is another again another whole episode um, <laughs> exactly um, so yeah yeah um and I guess moving along um huge congratulations uh to getting into a program was this your first time applying yeah it was my first time wow that's that's huge that's amazing um I'm sure both your your family and your mentors are incredibly proud of you so uh huge congrats on that um when you were I guess searching for the right mentor because you know we've kindly kind of established that that is uh, extremely important when you were looking for scholars in this particular area did you come across any kind of barriers in that sense like when applying to clinical psychology uh, PhD programs was there anything specific to your identity and your background that created any issues for you that's a good question so I'm first gen um, so just first of all graduating college a four-year college um for me was a big deal mm-hmm. it's it a big deal because I haven't graduated yet um <laughs> this is a big deal for my family and for me so um trying to figure out how to even what does the application look like I don't know what a CV is the only type of personal statement I've had to write is for um to get an undergrad so I'm figuring out all this stuff as I go literally right <laughs> Like for me, it was listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos that I figured out how to do all of this stuff. Um, And people don't think about that when applying to these programs, because and I feel like that's one of the reasons why people have to apply two, three, four times um, is because if you don't come from a background where you already have the infrastructure to understand what these things are and how to do it and what's the proper way and what's not the proper way, you will get eaten up. You will. Yeah. And I mean, I I mean, I could talk about this, of course, for hours, but it's not an even playing field. And uh, a lot of people like to think that this kind of meritocracy is basically based off merit, when in fact, uh, coming from academic backgrounds or even backgrounds where perhaps you're the third or fourth generation of people to have a university degree, it's entirely different. Yeah. And then you add up on top of that, like not having the financial, you know, wherewithal to be able just to pay $90 per application. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it adds up very yeah. quickly. 
Let me tell you. Like, luckily, as a, like as a McNair scholar, we get application waivers, so I have to pay anything. But if I had to pay $50, $90 per application and I wanted to apply to 10 schools, like I don't have $500 to $900 laying around for applications. Yeah, and it's hard to imagine, you know, how many people do have that kind of reserve for these for these types of expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, so like finances, that's another whole thing that is another particular barrier that a lot of people face. Um, and looking into those things like fee waivers uh, is definitely a good option if anybody is is struggling with that at the moment, um, because that is a very unfair uh barrier to be facing. Um, so I guess as a black scholar, and this is a really big question, so I mean, we can kind of chunk it down, but what kind of changes would you like to see, uh, in the next, you know, five or 10 years in terms of making this, you know, both a more equitable process, but also making it a more welcoming place for Black students, people of all different backgrounds, um, people of the LGBTQ plus communities, like what changes should we really be looking to implement here? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that I think a lot of clinical and counseling psych programs have gotten right is doing away with the GRE. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, I did not do too hot on the GRE. Um, And it's sad because if I got judged on my GRE now, I probably wouldn't even gotten into this program and the thing about it is we know that the GRE is culturally biased right but we still have it as as a barrier for people to get through uh, these programs um so yeah the GRE is number one number two getting doing away with the application fees yeah like (laughs) yes for sure and the thing about it is like these departments make so much money off of these application fees and that's one of the big reasons why I think keep them absolutely I think I calculated for one of the programs that I applied to they must have made at least five hundred thousand dollars from applications to a single department exactly like absurd and then they want to talk about not paying you know proper stipends and it's like you have the whole cohorts worth of stipends plus just an application fees alone each year yeah right so you know that's a whole nother thing and then you got these stipends these stipends are not enough for students to live on i remember going on an interview and they were like yeah our stipend is nine thousand dollars a year and i was like what i mean anywhere in 2022 you're not going to get anywhere a apartment to live anywhere for nine thousand dollars a year Maybe if you don't eat. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you, you know? don't eat or you don't have to put gas in your car or exactly. pay anything else. But $9,000, it's a little ridiculous. And then you think about the places that don't have any funding at all. Putting your money where your mouth is. If you care mm. about if you care about these uh, scholars of color, you're going to give them what they deserve. Um, and you're going to pay us enough so that we can live and live comfortably. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are plenty that I'm missing. Yeah, I mean, as a discipline, it's almost embarrassing how how many kind of really fundamental, basic changes we should have been making, you know, 10, 20 years ago that we just haven't yet Um, to the point where like (laughs) you and I could probably spitball here for, you know, God knows how long. Um, 
just about you know the basics of being paid enough to live right it's it's so it's so ridiculous um and then you know something that we had we had kind of spoken about a little bit was um not only are there you know not as many black scholars and black professors as we would love there to be um but when there are black professors in these departments you know are they being supported and valued right right that is the biggest thing like you can have a department full of people of color but if you don't support them what are you really doing right Mm -hmm. um so if you want to push them to be the biggest that they want to be and achieve all their goals and research what they want to research um you know i've seen already and i haven't even started grad school i've seen already how many people are quitting these programs and who Mm -hmm. how many people I really just um, burnt out from dealing with racism in these programs. And it, and it kind of makes you kind of scared to even take that step. Um, but what keeps me going is understanding that I will be a change maker. Um, and I get to be in a space where the people are clinically trained, which I think is pretty cool. I have mentors that can like therapize me <laughs> and like help me when I'm having issues yeah. um, and I can really rely on other black people who are here doing the same thing and it's all love um, yeah. but yeah departments please support your faculty of color and give them the funding and the time and the resources necessary to be successful um, yeah and let them define what that is mm. I think that's another thing um, I see a lot uh, come to these programs and, and you know I'm new so as I'm not like you know old man but <laughs> uh, uh, coming in I've seen like again a lot of these professors given these things that hold no value to them like they want they they know what they want they know what they need yeah. um, so listen to them listen to the people who are the most torn down by these institutional issues yeah, and, and the most knowledgeable about what's going to help their community thrive right? as well. I mean, it's it's one thing to, I guess, hire a diversity coordinator who gives a couple of slideshows and, you know, right. um, but it's another thing to actually speak to people in the community and, and just ask kind of bluntly, like, what can we change here to better support yeah. you, which... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I hope it's happening. <laughs> right. I hope it's happening, but you know, I, I, I don't want to assume. And then there's the other part of, I think a lot of these professors, when they are perhaps one of, you know, a handful of people of that identity in their department, it's almost like they have a second job they didn't ask for, which yeah. is, you know, talking about diversity and being the people that people come to when they have, you know, a question about X, Y, or Z, when they're kind of they're kind of working a second job that you're not asking other faculty to be doing. Exactly. And nobody really thinks about that. And you would think that, like, I think a lot of the, you know, the white people who are in these spaces, they really think that uh, these faculty of color enjoy 
doing all the things. Sometimes yeah. they do. Sometimes they do. You don't know. I can't speak for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I, sometimes they really don't. And they really just want to be able to focus on their research or whatever else that they're doing. They're teaching versus trying to teach all y'all how to like be good humans. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I mean, it's like this, it's this, this expectation, right? It's, it's one thing to, to love to be involved and to choose to chair committees and to do all that. But it's another thing to just have it poured onto you when you're like, I've got four studies running. I don't have time to do a equity and diversity meeting for you today. Yeah. And if you are going to do that, pay them, pay, pay them extra. Yes. Extra. You're going to give them the money to do that if you're going to expect them to do that. You're going to pay them extra to be your diversity coordinator or whatever if they yeah. want to do that. Yeah, they both they both have to want it and be compensated for it. Right. And I don't think that's a huge ask. No, it's <laughs> not. They but got money. Yeah. Oh, oh, do these universities have money, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll even ask you for it after you leave. <laughs> but I mean, It's so awesome to hear, you know, kind of when I've been speaking to this next generation of, you know, potential professors or at least people involved in clinical psychology, that there is an awareness and there is, you know, I mean, the way you speak about these issues, you're like wise beyond your years, you know, you're not a professor who's been uh, working for 10 years, but you know, you've been made aware of these things because in a way you've had to become aware. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is there are a lot of people who haven't, you know, a lot of these professors get tenure and then they don't care about learning about diversity, mm. equity, inclusion mm-hmm. issues. They have already, they've already done it. They're, they're already experts in their, in their mind. So having to learn about how to now uh, communicate with Black just for an example, communicate with Black communities in 2022. Mm. They're like, I'm, I've done it already. Why are, you, why are you trying to, like, change how I've been doing things? And it's like, we're not trying to, we're trying to help you understand that this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And just because you've done it in the past doesn't make it right, which is really hard for people to understand. And it's funny because, you know, researchers you'd hope are a community of people who are constantly open to to learning and reevaluating but there are certain issues where a lot of people just get stuck yeah for sure i mean they're tenured so they're they're not going anywhere very very quickly but it's definitely you know a really positive sign to hear about people like you um, people, you know, of this kind of younger generation who really have a love for psychology and that's why they want to change it. It's not from a place of, you know, malice. It's from a place of let's make this better because we care so much about it. And I think that that's just, you know, that's so wonderful to see. I mean, it's it's a lot of pressure <laughs> as well on on people of this this kind of newer, younger generation of researchers because you're inheriting this kind of, as you said, this ivory tower, literal ivory tower. And so it's a lot kind of on your back to be making the changes, but at least the fact that there are more people coming in with, with this knowledge and this passion, I, it definitely is like a, a wonderful positive sign for the future of psychology. Yeah, I agree. Um, that really spoke to me when you said that, like, a lot of people really do 
feel like it's their job to come in and fix everything. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we want to do or how, what we want people of color to feel mm-hmm. entering in these spaces. Um, we want them to feel supported and valued, not that they have to come in and fix the department or have to be that token yeah. person of color, that token queer person that has to teach everybody. They want to be the person who gets to be a regular student. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess it's it's kind of they talk about like the hidden curriculum of you know psychology in general, and then there's this second hidden curriculum of how to of what the expectations are on you just because of your background and I I don't know if that's something that a lot of people I guess talk about to young scholars I mean have you have you had the experience through mentorship of of having somebody sit you down and go these are going to be the expectations on you that you might not have heard of yeah like I said like I was lucky enough to have really good mentors in undergrad that really could I connected to and could really walk me step by step what it's going to be like in grad school but um again without that good mentorship by faculty of color mm-hmm. I wouldn't I don't think I would be able to do this like an example is like I wasn't even planning on applying to PhD programs this year I was like oh my gosh I thought I wasn't even qualified I really didn't I didn't think I was qualified enough to even uh do PhD programs but I sat down with my mentor and I was like you know, I'm thinking about doing masters. And she was like, why are you doing masters? You can do a PhD. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, you're right. And I was just, cause you know, again, when we think about grades, I thought my GPA wasn't high enough. My GPA is not bad. It's actually pretty good when you think, when I really sit and think about it. Yeah. But, you know, reading all of the stuff online, you would think, oh my goodness, your GPS would be like a 4.0. And if it's not a 4.0, you're probably not going to get in. But the thing about it is like, when you are a person of color and you have extra things on top of, you know, your grades, you're working two jobs, you're supporting family. We just went through a pandemic. You're yeah. doing a lot of other things. You know, being a well-rounded student is more important than anything else. Um, but to get back to your question, good mentorship is going to take you a, a really far and long way. So connect with somebody ASAP. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, that really kind of what you've just said really kind of stood out to me because, you know, even this podcast, it's it's walking a line between warning people of how high these expectations are in clinical psych so that, you know, if you don't get in the first time or second time or third time, or in my case, you get in on the fourth round, mm-hmm. um, you don't feel quite so bad about that. Um, but it's also the other side of you don't want to you don't want to scare people or you don't want to tell somebody that they don't have the chops to get in um because even hearing you say you know I didn't think that right. I was PhD you know quality um that's that's such a hard thing to grapple with it's like I didn't feel that way because I'm not a good student not because I'm not outstanding in everything that I do is literally that looking online I didn't fit that standard but I am the thing about it is like especially as psychologists I think it's kind of hypocritical to like have such standards yeah when again like we understand that there are so many systems of oppression that are in place that make it so that people aren't as successful as others and sometimes it is due to circumstance rather than actual merit yeah um that people can be successful as they are and have such high GPAs and be connected to cool mentors and publish all these papers it really sometimes is due to 
who you know first and how much money you have versus mm. how talented, successful, how how good of a student you are. And I just don't want any applicants who may be thinking about applying to these programs tear themselves down because maybe you didn't get in the first time or you know you're thinking about it and you think okay I can't do this because you know I'm not good enough because you probably are good enough you just need to take a deep breath and begin <laughs> do it yeah try you know yeah 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 and and it's so it's so great to hear that um clearly your mentor you know saw the star that you are and was able to kind of set you <laughs> set you on the right path there of Oh no, you you definitely can make it. Um, right. And I mean, it's it's unfortunate that not every listener will have that experience or or have great mentorship. But you know, hopefully, hearing it here that you don't have to have the exact you know pristine CV that you see being tossed around. Um, you can just be a really good student. You can just be a really smart, you know, talented person and you can do it yeah yeah totally and the thing about it is like you know the people with 4.0s are great but a lot of times that's all that's all they have they Mm -hmm. don't really have anything else so I would say thinking about it from a holistic standpoint like not just your grades but your extracurriculars are you working are you are you doing research what kind of research are you doing how long have you been doing it think about all the things that make you a good person outside of just like this the school stuff um because that is what I think has made me so successful and has kind of brought me across that line um and like being able to get like you know acceptances was that I made sure that I brought my personhood into this and not just being like a robot and like trying to be something else for somebody else um so Again, for the Black students, the people of color who are trying to apply, be yourself. Um, and come into these programs, come into these interviews, being yourself. Um, because you want you don't want to have to pretend for the next four or five years to be something that you're not. Have these people understand who you are at the beginning so that you're, this doesn't come by surprise in later years. That was... <laughs> I'm like tearing up here. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is like very, very wonderful advice. And... I just, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. I hope that if we have listeners who are maybe from a background where they haven't heard this kind of information before, I really hope this helps. Obviously, the future Dr. Simmons is a wonderful kind of, mentor is not the right word, but um, figurehead, (laughs) I guess, of, of how successful you can be. And yeah, I want to thank you so so much for making the time to to come and chat with me today and uh i guess is there is there any kind of final last words of sage wisdom that you'd like to to end with today good question um growth isn't linear Mm -hmm. that's something that i had to really learn what is for you is going to be for you so sometimes like you know for me i am going to the phd program right after undergrad but you know, there's a big possibility that I couldn't have done that. So take your time and really figure out what works for you, what makes you happy, and don't live, don't live your life for other people. That was great. That was a lot. Okay. <laughs> that was great. And follow me on Twitter at Future Dr. Simmons. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>